on this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver. The group discusses Stephen Wilson. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode, the special concert series episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Paul Zotter as we discuss the most recent Stephen Wilson tour. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it, this, is it the same tour that you had seen? It's the same tour, only this time we'll get all of the band members' names correct. That's right, because we're <laughs> we're up on our lore. I'm glad that you mentioned that it's the same tour that we talked about previously, Paul, because some of my expectations weren't met with this show, and and I didn't know what the cause of that was. Huh. Um, was it, it because I, I, I spiced it up so much for you that you were disappointed? I just saw Stephen Wilson here in Dallas at the House of Blues on December 19th. Ken and some of the guys up in Philadelphia, not you, Paul, saw this uh, the same tour at the Fillmore, I believe, where we saw Yes. Yes. On November 30th. So when you and I discussed um, when you saw Stephen Wilson, and this was back months ago at this point. Yeah, it was back in like April, I want to say. Something like that. You had described sort of the the multimedia event that this show was, and even in some of the clips that we had reviewed of Stephen himself discussing his concert in preparation for the segment on his solo albums that we did, he he himself mentioned the the extravaganza that he wanted to put on because he had to gather his portion of the entertainment audience. And needed to make it worth the worth the while. Yes, and and I don't know if it's logistics of the House of Blues, but I didn't get the full blown multimedia experience. It was band on the stage, screen behind, and that was it. There was no screen in front. No screen in front. I oh, didn't that get any had of that. to have been that had to have been a House of Blues problem because that is key. That is huge. Just knowing knowing that we're videotaping this now, Joe, and seeing you take a big gulp of that red delicious soda just makes me makes me chuckle. Big red, man. Red soda. Wow. So what you're saying is that in the great state of Texas, you can get big red soda or red soda that tastes like bubble gum, but you can't get a fucking front screen at the House of Blues for Stephen Wilson. That is exactly what I'm saying. Unbelievable. I'm I'm really disappointed because I saw your picture of Nanette and it did look very far away. And I thought well, your other pictures, you look pretty close to the stage. So now I'm a, I'm I'm kind of disappointed that you, you did not get that experience. Yeah, well, I was disappointed in real time because I'm like, where's the other screen? When does the other screen come in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because even um Oh my gosh, I know you said he ended with The Raven That Refused to Sing, and that one has, um, I want to say, had a front screen as well. Ugh. Yeah, it was uh, it was a bummer. But, and, and I kind of, you know, I, me being me and having a brain, I mean, if honestly, if I hadn't known that the second screen was supposed to be there, I wouldn't have been looking for it. But since I was looking for it, and knowing, you know, a little bit about life, and seeing sort of the the cramped confines of the house of blues stage i figured that's probably what it was um hmm. i figured that out pretty early on and i was i was disappointed but you know you live with life and it's interesting because i know you said that house of blues the floor was standing only yes and the fillmore i understand was uh in a configuration that only had standing on the floor as well Okay. And when I saw Stephen Wilson, he made a point of saying the next time he would be in town, it would be at a venue where there's only standing. Because, <laughs> as you recall, he was pissed that everyone was sitting down during his show. I do recall that. You know, he's uh, he, he's interesting. And, and maybe maybe we should get all of the, the less than stellar stuff out of the way first. <laughs> obviously, I have never seen Stephen Wilson before. Um, and we had... Obviously, seen various documentaries, interviews, whatever, um, in preparing for his regular albums. I am 
quickly developing a very difficult relationship with Stephen Wilson, the person. If he hadn't talked during the whole show, I probably would have been okay. I love to hear him talk. He's got a fantastic speaking voice. But the things he says just don't land quite right with me. You know, and there are different aspects of it. When we were going through his albums and, and we made multiple references to the the heavy, intense, emotional nature of, of the music and, and the effect that it had on us and certainly me in particular. But I thought in, in the live environment, he played up how maudlin his songs were a little bit too much. He was very heavy handed with that quote unquote gag, if you want to call it. You know, he was very self-deprecating, but it didn't come across as genuine. If it wasn't one of those things, his stories came across as uber condescending. I get all of that. Yeah. I think he comes over like very pretentious. Yeah, I I, to- I get everything that you said, and I I definitely appreciate the idea. He to me he comes across while he is sometimes being self deprecating. It almost it's almost like he comes across as very self absorbed. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, you know, and and a very very small thing, and I don't want to in any way, shape, or form piss people off if they've already turned off we're sorry because i i I really did um by the time it was all said and done i thought this show was fantastic i still have been listening to stephen wilson nonstop. although i have switched to blackfield now one of the other things that sort of just stuck with me was his his rock star moves and I, (laughs) i i'm now very much convinced that stephen wilson's hairstyle, whatever it is, and it's a little bit different now than it has been recently, whatever hairstyle he has is designed strictly for hair flinging on stage. (laughs) As it should be. Sure. I mean, I still try to flick my hair these days when I'm on stage, even even (laughs) though it's pointless. How does that work for you, Paul? (laughs) It's embarrassing when I do it. Nobody knows that I'm doing it except me, but every once in a while I catch myself flicking my head back and I'm like, damn it. So that's sort of the bad stuff. Yeah, I, I just want to say this. I, I think hi- history tells me that there are plenty of artists that I've really enjoyed that sometimes I wish they would just shut the fuck up and and just play their music because uh, mostly because a lot of them have been, you know, more politically motivated and you know, or they're just like super duper like Paul Stanley-ish and like David Coverdale like <laughs> like have absolutely nothing to say you know but it doesn't take away from the the experience it doesn't take away from loving them as artists and steven wilson although he can kind of like i can kind of deal with him i guess it doesn't bother me as much i just kind of shake it off i definitely hear what you're saying but of course it doesn't it doesn't take away from our overall respect and admiration for the music and and all that absolutely not and 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 like i said even even if i didn't necessarily care for what he had to say I could listen. He's got a great voice, you know, just a speaking voice. I love to listen to him. I wonder, as we begin in the real palaver time of doing Genesis, just a couple of videos that I've watched as we've started our early, early preparation. I'm wondering if I'm going to feel similar about Tony Banks in these interviews, because just a couple of things that I've seen from him, I'm like, yeah, this guy seems like he could be a real prick. Well, and and I'm very fascinated to sort of explore that. And, and again, it all goes back to the comment that I had made that, you know, whether by design or otherwise, Tony seems to be the central cog in the whole machine. Everything yeah. moves around Tony. And I, that's something I think we need to explore. I, I can't wait. And and just as a quick side before we, we get in to, to this, any more detailed Right while I was waiting to um, to start today, I, I uh, pulled up Spotify, and Spotify decided to treat me to my year in review. I guess. Oh, okay. You know, now that I've had my work year in review, and I'm about to do my last two gigs of the year, Spotify decided they had to tell me, you know, how I did this year too. The um, it's the top three artists that I listened to this year in order were no surprise, Rush. Stephen Wilson and yes, <laughs> that's shocking, Paul. <laughs> so, so in the forty-seven hours that I listened, I'm sorry, forty-seven hours I spent listening to Rush alone. In the almost eleven and a half days that I spent listening to Spotify in 2018, the majority of that time was spent listening to those three bands. So, listen, I felt bad when I saw when I did the special concert series originally for Stephen Wilson 
that I really had no idea about to the bone. Like I just didn't know enough about it to fully appreciate it. And I hope that I've somewhat redeemed myself by spending most of my year listening to, to Stephen Wilson. So, well, you know, and, and that's, that's a one other point that I have to make sort of generally speaking, Paul. Um, and because there was, there was a period in the middle of the second set where I was a bit checked out with the whole thing because the second set was very, very porcupine tree heavy. And I had, we have spent so much time and I, you know, doing the Stephen Wilson solo catalog, even after we finished that up, I, I was still focused certainly on the last three of those, although I did listen to the, the other two. But I knew that the, the porcupine tree heavy set was an option and I didn't prepare myself appropriately for the show. So there was there was a decent chunk of the second set where I just I, I wasn't as prepared as I should be, but that was on me. By the time it was all said and done, it, and honestly, just the fact that he had the balls to end with the raven that refused to sing, and how good that was, I I didn't care. I you know it was awesome. Yeah, you got an excellent encore. I was just checking it out. Yeah, excellent encore. That's sort of the general stage of of everything. And Stephen claimed to be ill. And so I think the show got off to a little bit of a rough start. It sounded just a little bit off, and he explained that, and that made sense. And I was very curious to see how he was received in Dallas. We've, we've made comments that, you know, Dallas is not a, a progressive rock hotbed. You know, it was, it was interesting before, before the show, you know, you're, I'm standing around in the general admission standing room only area, and there are all sorts of, of conversations going on around me. I was very interested to hear bands mentioned include Marillion and Fish, um, <laughs> Rush, yes. and uh, yeah, Yes came up, absolutely. Mm. Uh, you know, it was it was all the big ones. Oh, and then King's X. There was a, a substantial ah. King's X conversation going on next to me at one point. I like it. Well, you know, Texas King's X. I think I think if there is a hotbed of King's X fans, it's probably in your state. Probably is. So you know, it, it was it was interesting. I mean, it was. I I, I really should have had Palaver business cards because apparently all these people around me listen to all the stuff we talk about. That's amazing, and we, you know, ironically, we do have them. <laughs> we just haven't printed them out. We just haven't printed them yet. <laughs> Um, so anyway, the, the, the show started and it, it was a little bit weird, but once Steven sort of warmed up, uh, it seemed to go swimmingly. And while I will say, um, with my, you know, old destroyed ears, um, you know, I have to wear earplugs, but that's not a big problem. The sound was still super saturated in the building. The other thing that immediately struck me as they were playing Nowhere Now was one Nick Beggs. Ah, uh, Yes. If Steven Wilson describes himself, and he does, as a nerd, and, you know, Adam Holtzman is is whatever he is, and, and honestly, the guitarist whose name I still don't know, so I'm hoping you do, uh, he, I couldn't actually see him through the tall people who were off to my right. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, if I wanted to see him, I literally had to, like, bend around them. But Nick Beggs is just... He's rock and roll personified. He hmm. just looked cool. He he was as cool a bass player as I've ever seen. And he's phenomenal, of course. The dude, I I know when I saw them the first time, I was really blown blown away by him. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I truly I think there was like the very first time I saw him for the Hand Cannot Erase Tour, I was I think I was just kind of mystified by like his, his like stick playing. Oh, I'm particularly like you mentioned, you know, you mentioned in the text about, you know, him playing the, the stick and one of the most amazing, uh, stick performances that I've ever seen is on the song, um, the perfect life, Uh because a lot of that, what sounds like the keyboards, is really him on on the stick it's oh, unbelievable i, I love would it love to have seen that that's phenomenal yeah he was I, I found him just to be captivating i mean he was 
immaculately dressed. He had great hair. Um, mm-hmm. His his all of his bases are phenomenal, and it just he was he was a joy to watch, and he was right in front of me, which helped. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about the band is slamming. Alex Hutchings is the name of the guitar okay, player. Great. Um, and yeah, there's not, there's everybody is powerhouse on it, that stage. It's so good. It's so, so good. So they open with Nowhere Now, fantastic. And then they go right into Pariah, which we all knew that, you know, thanks to, to Ken's pictures, that we were going to get the <laughs> Nanette video, which we did. so much cooler though when it's on the front screen dude i can only imagine that's so much cooler (laughs) but it's it's funny how and even with it just being on the back screen and maybe it's just me but it's like as soon as they go into her part and i mean granted her face is probably you know what 12 15 feet tall at that point or whatever Mm. the rest of the band sort of ceases to exist it's amazing that you said that because so that was really communicated because to me, that was what was the cool thing about the, the, the video, the screen up front is that when her face is right there in front of him and the lights kind of dim down on the stage, it is, it's, it's almost like your, your attention is just like laser focused on, yeah. on her singing. Yeah. Well, even without that, it just, it, it, like I said, I, I'm overly fixated on her, perhaps, but it was it was phenomenal. And at one How point, not be? At, at one point, I did manage to tear my gaze away, and Stephen was was actually standing sort of sideways himself, like he wasn't even facing the audience, um, which mm. was, it, it was just kind of cool. Yeah, very. And very cool. you know that song is, as we've discussed, is is just so powerful, and they do it so well. Then he comes out for Home Invasion with the bass. Uh, oh right, right, gotcha. And Nick goes back to the uh, goes back to the keyboard station that Stephen uses. When they switch, I, I assume, um, midway through that song, Stephen goes back to the electric. Nick comes around and gets his bass, and then they go on from there. So there's there's a lot going on, um, but but Stephen banging out that that bass intro to Home Invasion. Oh man, that was pretty freaking cool, though. I I I maintain. That of all the songs from Hand Cannot Erase that I would like to see performed live, the ones that are selected on this tour are not those. However, how incredible is Adam Holtzman on Regret Number 9 and his solo? Oh, man. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, Adam was another... I couldn't really see Adam either, which was, which was a bummer. Um, but just, like I said, the... His whole approach to keyboards, I think, is fundamentally different from anything else I can think of. Um, and it just, it, it seems to fit so perfectly with with what Steven is doing. Um, mm. You know, that, that I think, is, is a really, really 
powerful sort of relationship there that those two have. You know, and I don't know if if Stephen found him because he sort of embodies what Stephen wanted to do or or how that worked out, but it's it's a great thing. There's definitely something there that I that I I feel like is different compared with his relationship with the others in the band. I would say that Nick and Adam seem to be sort of the um, Tony Levin and uh, uh, David Rhodes to Peter Gabriel, right? Okay. Everyone else can kind of switch around. Like the guitarist and drummer, no offense to Alex or Craig. Sure. But like you can, th- th- those two areas sort of have a revolving door. But Adam and Nick really seem to be right in line with whatever's whatever's going on in Stephen Wilson's brain. Yeah, and, and it, it works beautifully. Love it. Absolutely. And then they went into a Porcupine Tree song, The Creator Has a Master Tape. Again, I was not uh, overly familiar, but, you know, they they play these songs so, so well. Um, and, and it really, you know, I think Stephen picks them. And, and again, I'm not very... I'm not at all familiar with Porcupine Tree, to be perfectly honest. There is one song on the second Blackfield album that is about as much Porcupine Tree as I actually know. Need to get into that at some point. Um, Hmm. But it seems, so I don't know if if these are representative of Porcupine Tree as a whole, but the songs that he picks generally seem to fit in fairly well with with the set. Agreed. And I think along the lines of the pick of Home Invasion, Regret Number 9, and Ancestral, in this first set, uh, seems to go very well with the creator has a master tape, and I want to say that in the in the uh, home invasion DVD interview, yeah, Stephen Wilson mentioned that you know how much he likes Craig's Craig Blundell, and that he selected, I want to say it was this song because he just felt like one of Craig's strengths is like just that straight ahead rock locking in with the bass. Uh-huh. And he thought this song would just give Craig like all the room to play that he needed. And, and that was one of the reasons why he included that. That's awesome. You know, and that's, it's this level of this attention to detail, I think, which possibly is one of the things that sets Stephen Wilson apart. Yeah, man. Yeah, he really, really knows how to uh, bring all the pieces together. We've talked about that before. And from there, they went into Refuge, which, you know, I, I was interested to see how they were going to deal with the lack of a harmonica and basically they split the, the the solo so the harmonica portion steven soloed and then alex got to do like you know i guess the paul stacy solo portion and that yeah. worked out really really well you know and and, and you know here again these songs it, it's amazing how they're able to sort of convey the emotion w- with such fidelity um in a live setting which that's not always easy to do you said you didn't really get a good view of Alex because of the, the tall Texans that were uh, near you. Did you see him enough to note a familiar look about him? Like maybe uh, a familiarity with our good friend Colby Dransfield? I, I did not pick <laughs> up on that, no. Um, <laughs> he, was, he was wearing a hat um, that I would have yes. never seen Colby wearing, but... Yeah, well, that's for sure. But if you imagine Colby in his college days wearing a hat, okay, uh, never mind. Okay, no, sorry. he was he was. I, I was not close enough. I, I did not have the ability to uh, to make that observation. Although I did love his guitar. I don't know exactly what he was playing, but one of them was decidedly asymmetric with regards to the above and below the neck. It had hmm. it had like a really the the body was really deeply cut away on the bottom. So it, it had this sort of angled look to it. It's very cool. Yeah, you know, I wanted to, I want to say, um, do, do, do. I can't think. I want to say it's some kind of Music Man guitar, but I don't know. I'll see if I can find it while we, uh, while we continue on. Yeah, it was, it was really, really cool. And, and while we're talking guitar porn here for a second, um, you know, I had made mention that Steven appeared to play four guitars minus the acoustic four electric guitars. He had two tellies and then he had what appeared to be two Paul Reed Smiths. The PRSs are just, is slick the word I'm looking for? Very, very modern, um, you know, whereas the, the tellies have, you know, a decidedly vintage feel to them. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that that's 
That's right on. And and for sure, like the telly has, has an unmistakable sound. Uh but really the, the PRS are 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 basically they're you know, they're basically uh modern day humbucking monsters. Yeah. So yeah, they they do tend to be slick. So I I wanna say that it looks like Alex Hutchings is playing uh, a waghorn guitar. Oh, of course. And so that uh, is, they are quite attractive. And, yeah, I, just, uh, I, I love it. Yeah, and, cool. You know, here, here's the thing, though, and, and I think this speaks to, you know, the this whole thing. And, and maybe I'm just paying closer attention, but the fact that we, even with all of the noise that was going on and, and the ear-shattering volume, to be able to pick up the tonal differences between those two types of guitars, pretty damn cool. Yeah. Well done, Joe. Even through your earplugs. Even Very through nice. my earplugs. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, what you were going to say? So, so, I mean, we talked about it in our To the Bone episode about how righteous the tones were and how I was, I was just, after getting into the album and really appreciating it, how I was like, how how could I have fucking missed this before? Like, how could I have this record for so long and not be like, uh, uh you know? And and it's really tremendous uh, to see that because you know we you know chew to bone. We talked about Paul Stacey's studio and yeah. all the ridiculous amps and pedals and every everywhere gear just like everywhere in that studio. And it's it's fantastic that that has come through in all of all of the um, of the touring i will say that when i saw them i made this comment before and after watching the home invasion i found that alex hutchings tone is a little bit um a little bit on the metallic side for me uh-huh. not i mean it may be accentuated by the fact that the you know the teletone is just so rich and and classic so i don't know if that it just kind of accentuates the difference or not yeah i don't know and and from refuge we went into the most disturbing visual images i think i've ever seen at a concert <laughs> <laughs> so the same asylum as before and if i recall correctly this was just the the music video that's available online right with the guy with the with the big um yeah, paper mache head, and it's. I don't know if I've seen this online. If it is, I can't wait to watch it. I, I think it I, is I've, because I, I was shocked, and but I wasn't surprised, and like I'd seen this before. And I want to say that I, when preparation for that episode, I'd watched that video and was terrified then as well. Um, but now they were much larger, and the music was much louder, so it was <laughs> it was very disconcerting. Wow. I uh, when I look at the quick search, I don't see like I see lots of live videos with the videos in the background, but I don't see the actual video. So I'm gonna look for it, dude. I love those images with the paper mache heads and the funky hands. Oh yeah, those and hands are terrifying. I only seen it like one time, and it's like it's burned into my into my brain. And I even drove past a wooded area one day and I looked across and I was like, Oh, that reminds me of the same asylum as before video. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, that's, 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 that's powerful right there. If it's going to burn into your brain, the fact, you know, to the point that you drive by woods and you think of the video, that's amazing. Seriously. And I, you know, the, the intense the the thing that's just so great about it is like they're paper mache heads right so they're they only have one expression so you know that they were switching switching costumes throughout the and and the the different expressions on the heads as they're going through their uh, just it, it's remarkable and that's one of my favorite songs on um on the album in fact it is my number 3 top song this year on Spotify that I've played there you go so, okay yeah yeah, it's, it's a really, really good one. And then they finished up the first set with Ancestral. And, you know, again, Ancestral is, is maybe a song that you wouldn't ex- necessarily expect to translate well live. But, you know, it, it, I think they, they really do a great job of, of taking these studio tracks 
and performing them live. And, you know, again, huge kudos to, uh, to Craig for, for playing that, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever that part is, um, exceptionally well and, and recreating that feel perfectly. And then it's just, you know, once that gets going and the band is just letting loose, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And really when you consider the rest of the first set, it, it fits in very nicely. It's a pretty impressive ending, I think. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it was a really, really good ending. So I was very, very pleased with that. And then, um, so then short intermission, they come back and they play arriving somewhere, but not here porcupine tree song. And again, this is when we start sort of the, a lot of the stuff that I wasn't necessarily familiar with, but mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 it really did come across so well. And like I said, more often than not, I don't, I didn't note down exactly which ones, but, but I did notice that Nick was playing a lot of the porcupine tree songs with the bit, with the stick, which is yeah. just, you know, I, I, I need, I think I could watch someone guy play the stick just for hours. It, it's fascinating. Yeah. And I wonder like, you know, I wonder if Nick has, you know, kind of, has recorded some of these songs with Stephen Wilson on his records. He's toured, you know, with Stephen Wilson. So I wonder when it, when it, you know, so he's learning all these songs on bass or stick, depending on what's needed in the song. So I wonder if they're like, okay, we're going to do this porcupine tree song. And he's like, okay, I got to learn this song. I'm just going to fucking learn it on the stick. You know? Yeah, exactly. How does that happen? Because as I pointed out, I don't think that any of the porcupine tree songs were recorded using a stick. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know, but it just—he makes it look. And any anyone who's who's skilled enough to to play the Chapman stick just makes it look beautiful. It, mm. it, it's just—it's fascinating just having both the hands having such an active part in creating the music. It's it's very cool, and such a wide range of sounds that come out of that too is impressive. And, and then, of course, you know, he went to Permanating. And you know, I'm sure the, the intro to Permanating was, was the same as, as you heard as well. You know, Stephen, Stephen embraces very warmly the fact that a lot of people may not like the song because it's so damn just unabashedly positive and joyous. And he makes a big production out of that. And yeah. I believe it was Ken who said he likes to challenge his audience and... You know, he threw down the gauntlet, and the gauntlet was was picked up, and everyone seemed to really enjoy it. Nice, nice. Yeah, and ironically, though, this was probably one of the songs that maybe didn't translate with one hundred percent fidelity. Because, like I said, I've gotten to the point now where when I'm listening to the bone and this comes up, I actually turn it up and rock out. You know, I, I <laughs> really enjoy it, and it. It was okay, but it wasn't. I didn't have quite the same experience that I get with the the studio recording. Hmm. How did his voice sound in some of these songs where he's singing in the high falsetto? You mentioned he was sick, so maybe there was some. Uh, well, let's see. Problems. If, let's see if I can find that, Paul. Again, from permeating, he goes into Song of I. You know, you talk about songs that you would expect or want to hear from Hand Cannot Erase. Song of I is not something I would ever expect to wind up on a live set ever. It seems yeah. oddly suited for that. And yet it was very compelling. Very cool. Now, in uh, how was the video for this one? Do you remember the video? I don't remember the video for this one. So interesting. So with the video in the front. Yeah. The screen in front, I remember very specifically this uh, this song 
where he was kind of sitting in a, on a stool maybe and the there was like this dance this dancer okay the, the 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 dancer doing her thing and then she's yeah. like there's three of her and she's in different colors and um uh, i yes yes and i and that one because it was in the front of him it made it look like she was literally dancing with him next to him and then sort of overtaking him um it was pretty cool yes exactly exactly so there it is but it definitely i i i think it would have had a different effect with the front screen versus the rear screen. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that now that you uh, explain what the difference is. Um, another porcupine tree Lazarus that I don't know a whole lot about. And then they went into detonation. Now detonation, I was yeah. fascinated because I couldn't wait to hear the jazz jam. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, that's as, as good as the rest of the song is the, the, the jazz jam is really what, what defines that song now. And it was okay. I don't know that it was as earth rending as, as I would have hoped it would be, but yeah. I love this because when I saw it, like I barely knew this song. Right. And so when it got to the end with the jazz jam, so-called I was blown away. I was like, this is so fucking awesome, man. <laughs> he's just doing the chicken. Oh, now that chicken. That was so cool because that comes through so clearly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just, yeah. The, the, the tone there is, oh, it's so great. You're right. And I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, and then all of that, and then behind it all is this, you know, person dancing, all completely covered, and she would do this dance, and then like, oh yeah, there would, and, and like there would be an, her twin would show up, and she would tap her head, and then they would do the dance, and then there's like by the end of the jam, there's like fifty of them, and they're all doing this like marching kind of thing, which I thought was, which was cool, and yet really sort of. I think provided a imagery that that really that really uh, sourced sort of the root of the song concept, which I thought was very cool. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that you're right. That was that was very very cool. But maybe I was maybe I had too many hopes pinned on the the jazz jam. And and quite frankly, <laughs> um, you know, my ability to hear clearly at that point was somewhat compromised. So. Um, I may actually have a, a recording of that. I'm not sure because huh. um, I was very interested. You know, Detonation is one of those songs where probably a month ago, six weeks ago, I would not have enjoyed that at all. Um, but spending so much time with To the Bone and, and figuring it out, I was very, very pleased to hear it. Nice. And then they moved into Heart Attack in, um, oh, what's the what's it called? In a lay-by? Yes, a lay-by. That's right. My uh, my phone uh, autocorrected that. Another porcupine tree song that I wasn't familiar with, but the the one thing that struck me with this in particular was the the vocals on this song were right. phenomenal. Yeah, uh, really really enjoyed that. Thought that was great. Yeah, I think you know as cool as Alex Hutchings is around everything else, and um, certainly uh, Nick Beggs, uh, when they when they decide to get serious about their backing vocals, look yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, Nick Nick Beggs actually did some very very solid backing vocals throughout the whole set, um, but this song really really stood out. Um, and yeah, they did it really really well. And then uh, they did a song called Vermilion Core, which is listed as yeah. a Stephen Wilson. Where is it? I, I'm not even familiar. Is it? I want to say that this song is uh, from – there was basically an album of scraps that was left over from Hand Cannot Erase. Okay. I think it's called Four and a Half or something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't know that I've ever uh, paid a great deal of attention to it. Yeah, Four and a Half. Okay. Um. And he sort of let it all out when uh, he decided to finally release his music on Spotify. Okay. So, yeah. And we did not cover Four and a Half because it wasn't a full album. 
Yes, we did not include that in the uh, the canon. That's right. It, it is it is not canon for the palaver. <clears throat> so I, I wasn't familiar with it. Um, but this was the song that that Stephen started playing um, keyboards in a very creepy mask. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he was he was standing back there, and he had on this really weird mask. I don't know where it came from. And he was kind of playing keyboards, but he was also doing his sort of hand wavy grabbing on the beat thing that he does. Okay. Um, it was yeah, it was it was something. And then they finished it up with uh, with sleep together, another porcupine tree song, which was just sort of a rousing way to to end the set. They came off stage, and then they came. Actually, they didn't come back. Stephen came back. And I don't know nice. if he did this um, shtick when you saw him. He walked out on stage with his with his sixty three telly and a little five watt amp. No, so my the show that I saw there was there were definitely time constraints involved with the encore. So oh, really? the encore, the encore, yeah, it was it was a Keswick Theater. I think oh, whatever that's happened, unfortunate. yeah, whatever happened with the show, he walked out at like. 10 50 at night and was like listen we don't have a lot of time so we're just gonna get to it wow. and you know when i saw him he played uh they just went right into the sound of muzak uh-huh. and um song of the unborn he finished and then it was like boom it was like like literally they didn't even take a bow and the lights went on and the doors opened up and like they oh. were chasing this out Jeez, so sorry so yeah he, he didn't come out with the with the little five water Oh yeah, so it was it was funny when he came out. You know, he, they hit the stage at eight, and he's like, "It's going to be a long chill. We're going to be here to about 11. <laughs> which, yeah. which was very cool. So he he comes out for the uh, for the encore with his with his telly and a little five watt amplifier, and he 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 gives the preamble that you know you can usually uh, he considers a song to be good if it sounds good just played on you know one thing, whether it's you know a guitar or a piano or whatever. And he was going to demonstrate that by playing even less with just him, his 63 telly, and this little 5 watt amp. And he made his point pretty well. It sounded, wow. it sounded pretty freaking cool. Um, nice. Yeah, I was, it, was, it was cool. And of course, just you know, listening to, to a, 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 you know, a straight telly for three and a half minutes or whatever, always, always very good. Yeah, right. Yeah, Stephen likes to make points. <laughs> so, so he explained to us that in the heyday, Britain was better at at producing great bands, and the U.S. was great at producing or better at producing great artists. Hmm. And um, and he mentioned Prince, and then he, you know, as as he said, a bunch of you know white British guys were going to play, you know, Sign of the Times from Prince. And I, if I'd been paying attention to all the set list, I probably would have known that this was coming, but I, I hadn't gone down that deep into it. So I was very, very surprised. Um, wow. And, and Sign of the Times is not the Prince song that I would have chosen. Um, it's, right. it's never really worked for me. But the fact that, that this band were able to do that so well and were obviously so invested in it, it was great. You know, you're just like, all right, what can't Steven Wilson do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I wish I would have seen something like that, 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 that just kind of puts it over the top. Yeah, it, it really was. It was now at this point, um, I excused myself from the middle of the, of the crowd and I sort of let myself into the back so I could get a little bit of space. Plus I kind of wanted just to see, I wanted a little bit of perspective from a little further away without everyone around me. And so um, I got the last two songs of the encore from sort of the back of the house. And he, it was interesting. He introduced both these songs up front. And, you know, he made, this was sort of the last time he made the maudlin joke. And so he's talking about Sound of Muzak and how it's, you know, really, really, you know, depressing but it's got a, a catchy singable chorus so it was okay and then he's like and the last one is just you know positively miserable and um and i was i was curious as to what it was because I, I don't think that he told us what what the song title was okay so they finished up the sound of music which was you know it was it was very cool and then they started with with the raven and literally my brain just fell out of my head onto the floor um, because I, I couldn't believe, 
like I said, he had the just the sheer balls to end a set on the Raven that refused to sing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it it's it's unexpected. It's probably difficult to do, um, and it's 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 just oh, it, it was such a bold move. And of course, you know, he played the full video. Yes, throughout it. Which, and, and we talked about the videos, um, certainly on, on this album as well as the others, but, but that one in particular, oh, it's, it's so moving. So you've got all of this sort of crashing onto you at the, you know, after, you know, almost three hours of, of, a, of a show, it was, it was almost too much to deal with, but it was so phenomenal and so unexpected that I left the show just on such a freaking high. And it was like, Stephen Wilson can do no wrong. <laughs> right. It's great, man, because I, you know, I, knowing that, you know, the, the Stephen Wilson journey has been fairly recent for you. And, you know, we just talked about those albums, not, you know, in the last couple of months, knowing how much you like that, that album and like that song. Uh, it's, that's just the perfect ending uh, yeah. for you at, for a Stephen Wilson show. It's so cool. It, it was it was phenomenal. I, you know, I, I hope everyone else got it. Um, and in fact, you can hear I've got a recording. There's one guy standing next to me when he started, and I believe. <laughs> Did you get the fuck yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. And you know, the thing, so I don't know if he mentioned this when, you know, when I saw him, he mentioned that, you know, he's mentioned something like the best thing about not being very successful is you can do whatever the fuck you want, basically. <laughs> and, and, you know, there, you can, you can marvel at that statement because, you know, in this day and age, you know, he's about as successful as an artist can be. Right. Um, you know, without the the nonsense, you know, operating outside of whatever the regular music business is today, which is, you know, the radio and the bullshit that goes on there. But, you know, the benefit of that is like, you know, he's filling out, he's selling out the House of Blues, the Fillmore, wherever he's playing. People are going there who know his stuff and like his stuff. And, you know, you can you can end the night with the raven that refused to sing because the majority of the people in that audience are going to appreciate it and right. love it. Yep. And uh, yeah, so Whatever sort of whatever sort of struggle I was having in the second half of the show with with a lot of the songs that I didn't know, and again I I had already sort of understood that that was my fault that I wasn't prepared. When he he finished with that, everything was forgiven. Didn't care because uh. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was phenomenal. So that was uh, that was my Stephen Wilson experience. Now. I do know I did I did check um, the the set list for the Philly show and I want to say that it had it, it also ended with the Raven that refused to sing actually very similar to the set list that you saw yeah the, yeah the, the the sets are very very similar between the two shows which is you know very cool yeah so no we're now Pariah Home Invasion Regret Number Nine Creator Don't Hate Me so that's a, a switch out. Same Asylum and Ancestral. No Twilight Within the Courts of the Sun. That would have been interesting to see. I wish I could have seen that. Mm. Wow. Because uh, I love that song. Permanating, Song of I, Lazarus, Detonating, Detonation, Heart Attack, and a Lay-By, Vermilion Core, and then Sleep Together. And then, yeah, their, their, their encore was exactly the same. So yep. there you go. Now I did mention I was looking at you know I was scrolling through some of the set lists from some of the other shows. There was one at least that I saw where they opened up the encore with Blackfield, which oh. I would have lost my shit at that point. 
Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to say the stats. There's there's only been a couple of times that uh, something like that has uh, that has happened, which is pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I, I love how that's like put in the 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 category of covers. Yeah. Well, he he made he made the point about that. I don't know if he did that when you saw him as well. Um, he was talking about how he, you know, he he doesn't really pay attention to what people write about him. He doesn't look at social media. But a friend of his had emailed him a review of one of his shows, and the guy had made mention of Stephen performing, you know, a bunch of porcupine tree covers. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, can you cover a song that's yours? <laughs> And there it is. And there it is. So that's uh, that was that was my experience with uh, with Stephen Wilson. Based on you know, we haven't really talked about Ken's experience. He he is unable to um, sort of chime in at this point. But based that's on because right, and uh, so what I was going to say about Ken was even though Ken is unable to join us today, and Ken has been busy to the point that he has not been able to necessarily share explicitly any of his thoughts. And while yes, he did leave the concert early and didn't have the experience, which I don't get. Um, I did, I, I have the impression based on uh, some of the, the text conversations that we had, you know, during and after the, the show that he saw with, with the rest of the crew in Philly, that I, I, I think Ken in some ways had a very similar experience to what we had. Um, and I think he, he sort of gets a lot of that. What's funny about the whole Raven thing is, because like I said, when I left the theater um, Wednesday night, my brain was just gone, and I'm like skipping down the road to my car the whole nine yards. And of course, I, the first thing you want to do is you want to start pounding out text messages going, dude, I can't believe he fucking did Raven! <laughs> but I, I didn't know if, if that had happened in Philly or not, and I didn't want to sort mm -hmm. of ruin the surprise and so by the time I got home and was able to pull up set list and I saw that, in fact, um, the, the, he had ended the set with Raven in Philly, that's when I, I started texting. And, and that's when Ken informed us that he didn't even hear it. I was like, that's a letdown. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, I guess I can't really be hard on Ken because I didn't even make the show. So I, I just skipped out altogether. So uh, he in glass houses. Exactly right, and you know the funny part is, is that you know special shout out to Dave and Reed who are uh, sort of our our you know I've seen Stephen Wilson with them twice before, and they are big prog rock fans. They love Marillion. They they love you know pretty much everybody that uh, that we love. Reed was actually at Rush's Hall of Fame induction when they were when they were there. Wow. Uh, yeah, and you know they they met for the show, and I guess. I would have been very excited to stand through the whole show because, you know, that's what I wanted to experience with, with Steven Wilson. But I guess partway through the show or at some point in time, Reed said, I'm not standing the whole time. So when they got there, he ponied up extra money for the VIP seating at the top of the Fillmore where they could get wait, you know, weighted service and everything like that. So even with it, with that comfort, Ken left early. Amazing. So, but and I missed, I missed the fun, but there's, there's no telling. Um, but anyway, it was it was a fantastic show, and I'm so glad that we did the Stephen Wilson segment beforehand. You know, because Stephen Wilson was through Dallas about the same time you saw him earlier on in the year, and I wasn't able to get that show. I think I had the kids that night, or whatever the case may be. And honestly, if I had gone to that show earlier in the year, I wouldn't have gotten nearly as much out of it as I did this week. Um, having gone through and, and familiarized myself, at least with Steven's solo work. Um, like I said, now next time I'll be better prepared with the, the rest of it, but it was, it was phenomenal. And mm. Steven Wilson is, you know, for all of his self deprecation, he's pretty much a rock God. And I think he knows that. And Nick Beggs is badass, and he may or may not be a Terminator from, you know, a future time designed to take down, Tony Levin, we're not sure about that, but he, you know, it doesn't really matter. Sure seems like it. Sure seems like it. It, it yeah. really does. He, uh, yeah, he just, he looks the part, man. <laughs> that's, that's a inside palaver joke, folks. We don't really think that Nick Beggs is a cyborg. Do we? I don't think so. Okay. I, th 
I th- th- when I first saw Nick Beggs, he had two of those fake arm tattoo sleeves th- wearing. Oh, really? Um, yeah, you know those things you you put on your yeah. arm to make it look like him. So he had one on both arms, and I was sitting close enough to 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 re- to know instantly that 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 was what was happening, and I had no idea anything was about to happen to me. And the first thing I see is the bass player with you know the arm tattoo sleeves, you know, like socks or whatever. Yeah. And, um, you know, so clearly he's got quite a sense of humor as clearly. well. So, so love it. Yeah. All right. So Paul, thanks as always for spending some time talking, uh, with me about a, a special concert that, uh, that one of us saw. That was awesome. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. All right. So for those of you, um, we hope you've enjoyed this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver. Always looking for your comments and your input. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. We are available on Apple, Google, and Spotify for your download and listening pleasure. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening.
Thank you.